Hey everyone, welcome to the Gate Alliance Church. We're so glad you could join us for this week's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn how you can be more engaged in our church, check us out online at thegatechurch.ca. Thanks for listening and enjoy this week's podcast. I want to begin with this question. What do you like to cheer for? What will cause you to stand and shout and cheer someone on? I want to show you an old commercial. I love this commercial uh, from quite a few years ago, put up by the BC Lions, that remind me the power of encouragement and cheering. Watch this. Oh, you're not just going to walk away and give up. You can get that. That's yours. Nobody else. Get in there and give us some heat. Give us some heat. Sports fans don't mind spending their money, uh, using their time and energy to cheer their team on. Uh, they like to wear their team's uniform and wave towels. They will go as far as painting their faces and, and wearing crazy hair for their team. Young fans can't wait to meet their hockey heroes. Fans will drive hockey vehicles. Some even live in hockey homes. This is the basement of somebody. They will eat hockey and they will sleep hockey. Even the dogs like getting into the act of cheering and supporting their team. People are so devoted, they will even get married with hockey. In fact, um, Sam and I, the, the chair of our elder board, we were at a Buffalo Bills and New England Patriots game oh, a year and a half ago, and a couple actually got married during halftime. Now that's commitment and devotion for your team. And if you're a real fan, your loyalty is unconditional. You cheer your team on, you support them. And I value the cheering sections in our churches because words have power. And so many of you are great at sending uh, me notes of encouragement. It always makes me want to press forward, keep running the race. It means more to me than you know. In fact, I keep them, I collect them and put them in my journal to read from time to time just when I need to be reminded. And your words of encouragement remind me to keep going, to keep pressing. And so thank you for taking the time to do that. I was listening to a message um, by my son-in-law a while ago, and he was referring to an experiment about the power of our words, which really astounded me. I think it will you too when you see this. This experiment was done by Ikea uh, on the power of encouragement. And I think they did this video because they saw how many times I was discouraged trying to assemble their furniture together. It's just not my gift. But Ikea took, uh, took two identical plants and put them in the uh, foyer of a school. And for 30 days, they invited students to either compliment one plant or bully the other. The plants were kept under identical, controlled environments. They each received the same amount of light, nutrition, and water. And the students' comments were fed through speakers rigged into each enclosure. And they were encouraged to 
to record the words of praise and also to record words of insults. So a recording device then transmitted these messages to each plant. Now just sit back and watch what happened. scientific this study is, but I do know this. I know the effects of encouragement. I know what the effects of encouragement have on me in my life. It's so important. Um, and I know how helpful it is that I don't want to just be the receiver of cheering and encouraging words. I want to sincerely give it away. I love and I enjoy building up others because they have value. I mean, we, we were talking about this in our um, men's group last Thursday night. We, we, team is so important and we need to remind our team players, especially in the church family, how much value they bring and remind them of the fact that they are needed and we are glad that they are here. So take the time to cheer others on. I value the cheering sections in our churches. When you look for me at church, I hope you're going to find me there in the cheering section, encouraging someone on. Now, these cheerleaders are people, the cheerleaders in our church sections are people who practice Philippians 4, 8, and 9. You know this verse, but we're going to read it again. This is what it says. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts. Did you hear that? Fix your thoughts. That's an action word. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about such things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. So if you've been following Jesus for some time in your life, you would know this verse. You have heard this verse numerous times, but isn't it a wonder how we can know something, agree with something, but then not put it into practice? The Bible says, keep putting into practice all of you, all that you've learned, it says here. Keep on. Don't just do it once. Just say, I read that and I agree with it. Keep putting into practice all that we learn. And you notice the result of us doing this. Paul says here, he, there's a promise that we can receive. 
is that when we put into practice these things that we just read about, that peace comes. He says, when you have learned and received and heard and seen me in practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. And the God of peace will be with you. It's like one of those, all those scriptures where there's a promise, but there's a premise, right? The promise is God will be with you. His peace will be with you, but you need to focus, fix your thoughts and put into practice these things. This peace is for you. The peace of God. And that's what I really long for. And isn't it true that the people in the cheering sections of our churches, those who practice fixing their thoughts on the things of praise, seem to be more at peace than those who fix their thoughts on being a discourager. Isn't that true? We all live in the same world, have the same troubles, and Jesus said you will have trouble and we do have trouble, but he's overcome the world, and we fix our thoughts on him, on the things that are praiseworthy, and somehow, even in the roughest storms, we can have a peace, the peace of God in our life. And people who don't practice those things, who don't fix their thoughts on the praiseworthy, uh, they seem to be more agitated. They just appear to me just to be a little more at unrest. Uh, they don't have the peace of God. It's your responsibility to make sure you're putting these things into practice for your life. I'm not going to answer for you. You're not going to answer for me. We will answer to God regarding our own lives. Today is Palm Sunday. It's when we examine our cheering and our praise and what it looks like, what's behind all of that. On Palm Sunday, we, we look back and remember how there are these people who cheered Jesus when he rode into Jerusalem for the celebration of the Passover. The people were glad and they were cheering. They, were, they believed Jesus was coming as their Savior, coming to rescue them and save them. We heard my friend Chris today uh, read the scripture uh, that, that found in John 12, 12 to 14, and this is what it says. The next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down the road to meet him. Listen to this. They shouted, praise God, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the king of Israel. Jesus was given a hero's welcome. People are excited to see them. Now, they didn't paint their faces and, and wear these uniforms and wave towels, uh, you know, but they did do what was the custom for that day. They would lay down blankets before him for him to go over. They would get those palm branches and wave them. They're showing their support for Jesus. However, we know just a few days later that same week, the same jubilant, supported crowd would change from being supportive to wanting him dead. The same group who cheered him on Palm Sunday, was they, they, they came before Jesus and Pilate a few days later and said, we want to see him crucified. We read where Pilate is asking the crowd, then what should I do with Jesus, who's called the Messiah? Now, this is the guy you just cheered and, and, and said you were rallying behind and supported, and they shouted back, crucify him. Why, Pilate demanded. What crime has he committed? But the mob roared even louder, crucify him. Pilate saw that he wasn't getting anywhere and that a riot was developing, so he sent a bowl of water, and we know this proverbial act of... of <laughs> shifting the blame, wash his hands before the crowd saying, I'm innocent of this man's blood. The responsibility is yours. On Sunday, 
The people shouted praises to Jesus. But by Friday, they were crying for his death. What happened? This is the question I want us to look at today. And we're going to look at it with a purpose, because the purpose being, I don't want to be like that. I don't want that to happen. I don't want my praise for Jesus to suddenly switch to where I'm totally for him, to I'm totally against him. So why did this crowd turn so quickly against Jesus? What happened? Why did the praise turn to torment? Well, here's the, here's the, here's the big point. Their praise was conditional. The people had already made up their mind what Jesus was supposed to do. They'd already concluded the Messiah would come and save them from Rome, this political foe who was occupying their country. And they would cheer Jesus because they thought he was coming to save them and rescue them from a human enemy called Rome. There's a song um, Genesis put out a few years ago in the album, Then There Were Three. And it was kind of a hit for them. It says, I will follow you, you will follow me. And this is not how the God-man relationship works. I will follow you, God, as long as you follow me and do what I like and what I want. I will have your back as long as you have mine. And here's my agenda. You follow that and I'll be with you all the way. God does not follow us. We follow him. He knows we don't. He sees we are blind. Now, God sent Jesus in the world to save the world from their real enemy. It wasn't Rome. It was sin. The people had this very narrow view of what salvation was. They wanted Jesus to overthrow a government, which was here and now for them. But God said, no, I see more than you do. I understand more than you do. I want to overthrow the power of sin, uh, which separates you from me and will send you into eternity without me. So I'm going to send Jesus into the world to fight that enemy and win that battle. Think of what it would mean to you and I today if Jesus gave in to the needs of man, what they considered was important back then, that first Easter. If Jesus followed the people, you and I not have the means today to be saved from our sin and all its horrible consequences, we would be eternally lost. The Israelite people would uh, have been freed from a government back in that day, which would eventually crash and burn anyways on its own, but we would have no hope and no future today if Jesus had listened to what man thought needed to be done. We praise Jesus today because he followed through on what was pure and right and honorable and certainly praiseworthy. And as a result, you and I can be saved today, not just those who were back 2,000 years ago. So ask yourself on this Palm Sunday, am I willing to surrender to God's will and his way for my life. We sang that song a couple of weeks ago, um, I Surrender. It says, like a rushing wind, Jesus breathe within. Lord, have your way. Lord, have your way in me. I surrender. In the world's way of doing things, surrendering is not a good thing at all. To surrender means that you uh, give up all your rights. You're placing yourself at the mercy of another. And it usually not, it's not a great outcome. However, in God's economy, surrendering to him is the greatest choice you can make. Because it's not about losing, it's about gaining. 
Jesus tells us, for whoever wishes to save his life, they're going to lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. The Apostle Paul once has led his life in a way he thought was right and was best and was honoring until he had an encounter with Jesus. And he writes about how he used to live saying, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. For his sake, I disregarded everything else counting it all as garbage. Why? So I could gain Christ. Surrender and receive. Lose and gain. That's the nature of the gospel and our relationship with God. Now don't, I know it's tempting, but don't think of anybody else right now. Because when we hear messages, you know, I've done that. We think, oh, this is good for this person. This person should hear this. They should be doing this. And it's our opinion. But again, you'll not give an account on that day for them. You will for yourself and God will look to you and he'll look to you at your decisions and your choices. And I wonder if your choice today is to say this to God. This is what I choose, Lord. Honestly, I surrender. I want to know you more. Like a rushing wind, Jesus breathed within. Lord, have your way. Lord, have your way in me. I surrender. I'm willing to lose to gain everything. I want to lose everything to gain everything. That's an important message for the church today. Because the most dangerous people in churches today are those who will not surrender this way to God and promote what they think is best instead. And just like those handful of religious leaders back in the day who would convince everyone that Jesus' agenda was not worth following, that they should not pick it up, they should not follow it, they wanted their way to be followed, those, kind, those people will supersede and overrule what Jesus is wanting to accomplish in his church today. It happens still. You know, and we need to talk about that and realize that. I've seen, like, I've seen churches crash and burn because a few people did not like the way God was leading. It's just that simple. Um, the church is growing. The church is reaching people. People are coming and the lives are being changed. It sounds like a wonderful church to be part of. I would love to be part of that church. But there's always this, these few religious leaders like of yesterday who don't like how things are doing, how they don't, how they're losing control and they feel threatened and they possibly, they won't even probably admit it to themselves, but they don't like how Jesus is getting the glory as they work against what God is doing. In fact, it is such a problem in churches today that there's a series of books written, written just regarding this, that I had our elders read one of these chapters. It's really important when sheep attack or preventing sheep attack. Because it's, it's so prevalent. And those same religious leaders back in Jesus' day can still be here today. And um, when you think about it, every church really has the means to grow and be healthy. There should be no reason why, whether you're underground in China or in freedom in Canada, that your church, uh, there's no reason why it should not grow and be healthy. Because Jesus says these words. He gives us this promise. I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. He also says this, when I'm lifted up upon, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. So if a church allows Jesus to build the, his church, 
And if they choose to lift him up in their midst, that church will become effective and successful. You'll become healthy. Because the truth is, I, I can't build a church. You can't build a church. Only Jesus can. I can't save people. You can't save people. Only Jesus can. So we follow him. We don't say, Jesus, follow us. Here's my plan. Come and bless what I'm doing here. We say, Lord, what are you doing? I want to bless and be part of what you're doing. That's the paradigm that we need to take hold of in our churches today and in our lives. So let's not make our praise for Jesus conditional on what I think is best and what is right. It's so hard, but let us surrender and seek Jesus. Let us surrender and follow him. Let's lift him up so he will draw people to himself. Let him build the church because even the power of hell cannot prevail against that. That's where I want to be. So the problem was their praise was conditional upon, um, <laughs> I'll praise you as long as you do what I want you to do. Secondly, this is such an important part when it comes to cheering. Praise reveals what you truly value. In our world today, there are many people and things that we can value. As we mentioned earlier, many of us value a sporting team. But more than this, we can value money. We value frontline workers. We value chefs. We value movie stars, musicians, Jesus, soldiers, and so on. All have value. But who is most worthy of your praise? What or who do you value most? And it's such an important question to answer in your life. Why? Because Jesus says this, where your treasure is, that in other words, where you, what you value, there the desires of your heart will also be. See, our desires follow what we value. You know, I really admire and respect Christians like you today because you're here. It encourages me. And why does it matter so much? Because many people say, no, I, I do believe in God, and I really believe that they, they, they believe in, in God, but they're not seeking him out in worship today as you are. They're not learning as you are. And there are people instead who say, I, I, yes, I believe there's a God, but they're in the gym this morning, or they're out shopping, or they're sleeping in. But not you. You chose to attend uh, a church service like this, one of God's churches, we call this one the gate. And you chose to do what other people in your communities will not do. You, you choose to give and you choose to serve his church. You follow. These things that we do, serving and giving and attending, these things don't make us a better people, but it does mean that we are a grateful people. We are not being boastful. We are quite aware of who we are. We are sinners saved by grace. We cannot take credit for this. We can only receive and be very thankful. The Bible says us to this very plainly. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. What we do, we do because we know who we are. What we do, we do because we know who we are. We are sinners saved by grace. And you do all of these things because you want to say thank you 
God. I'm not, I don't have to earn my way. I'm not trying to say I'm better than anyone else. I'm just here humbly surrendering, saying, thank you. Thank you. I want to know you better. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like on that day of judgment when all the people stand before God. But I was imagining this week, I was imagining this as I was sitting at home, um, God seeing you in the crowd and calling out to you. And he says, hey, I know you. You attended that church, the gate. And you gave of your time to serve my church there. And I know time is a valuable thing to you. And I know you gave financially and you served to support the work of my church. And I know finances and, and resources are important to you, but this didn't stop you from sharing and giving. And I, and I was imagining other people around you, maybe people who know you saying, God, but I believe in you too. But the Lord would respond this way as he does in scripture. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father will enter. A lot of us will cry out, Lord, Lord, and speak the good Lord, Lord language. But he says, those aren't the ones who enter the kingdom of heaven. It's only those who actually practice, put into practice, and do the will of my Heavenly Father. Those are the ones who are going to enter. Praise reveals what you truly value. So if I listen to a conversation with you, I should be able to tell by what you praise. I should be able to tell what you truly value. You can tell what's in a person's heart because of the attitude that comes out of it and the words that they speak. It always reflects, the Bible says, what is in your heart. I have a two-year-old grandson named Lewis who I love so much. I, I never realized how much you can love uh, someone until you have a grandchild. And he is a um, regular tender of the gate. I have pictures of him standing in front of the TV watching me speak. And uh, it breaks my heart. I just love, I love him so much. And there's a song my two-year-old grandson loves, and I actually sang it to him just yesterday. And uh, I know he loves to sing it. I love singing this as, as a child in school. But it sings a truth about what we have in our heart and what's the result of that. I have the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. Down in my heart. I have the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart to stay. And I'm so happy, so very happy. I have the love of Jesus in my heart. I'm so happy, so very happy. I have the love of Jesus in my heart. That was for you, Lewis. I hope you had fun with that. He loves to dance to our worship here at the gate. But I have the joy, joy, joy down in my heart. And it makes me happy. I can have peace because I have the love of Christ in my heart. And I want to cheer him on. I want to fix my thoughts on the things that he is about. I, I want to finish with this story today. Um, it just reminded me about, um, about being a cheerleader. It's a, it's, it's, uh, I'm going to read it for you in Niswa, Minnesota. Never been there. Don't plan on going there, but it's known for its turtle races. 
Every Wednesday afternoon in the summer, the people of Niswa and the surrounding communities gather at the designated parking lot for the races. Vendors rent turtles, others sell turtle products, again, they're fans, and the fans gather early, placing their chairs and blankets in the best viewing sites. In recent contests, 435 turtles raced in 15 different heats over a six-foot course. I mean, that sounds like, like an exciting way to spend a Saturday. The announcer calls the turtle holders to the mark and gives them the, the word, Go! And the crowd goes wild, and the handles release their turtles and scream at them, jump up and down, wave furiously, and throw water, trying to urge the racers to the finish line. The winners of those heats then race the turtles in the championship race. This is it, the final race. The winning, the winning handler receives $5 along with a turtle necklace. <laughs> wow. It's an uncharacteristic frenzy of emotion for the normally reserved folks of northern Minnesota. And I read that, and I thought, you know, isn't that, if they can be that excited about turtles, why can't we be that excited about God? Why can't we be excited about God's people, about God's church and his work? So I want to encourage you today to be the, in the cheering section of the church. And don't make it conditional. Make it relying on what God wants us to do. Make it, make it represent what's truly you value in your heart. People can tell and they will know what you truly value. So we're going to take our take two here in a moment. I'm going to just pray briefly. And I want you to think about what God would say to you about what you value and how you are as an encourager. And think about those things and say, God, what do you want me to know today? And then secondly, what do you want me to do about it? So let me pray with you. My Heavenly Father, I gladly choose to praise you. You alone deserve to be honored and revered by me and us gathered here today. I pray, Lord, that you would give me the strength to choose, choose what is true, what is honorable, what is right, and what is pure and lovely and admirable. I know about, I know how thinking about such things that are excellent and worthy of praise, they, that the result of that is to have your peace in my life. Lord, I want to see you at work in this world. And I know that begins at seeing you at work in my life, in my heart, because out of my heart will come the words and the attitude, which makes differences in the lives of others. I want to know your business and your ways. I want to, I want that peace in my life and that others will come to know it as well. Lord, you say in John 6.33, I have told you all these things that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you'll have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I overcome the world. All of us know what sorrow is like. Particularly this year, we've experienced trials that we've never experienced before. But Lord, we look up and we look to the mountains and say, is that where my help's going to come from? No. Am I putting my hope and trust in a, in a government? No. Is it in a health system? No. 
My help comes from you. And so, Lord, that's what I truly value. And I pray that it reflect in what I say, in what I do, that I don't just know that, but that I would practice that. And God, that as I put into practice your presence in my life, as I practice being in that cheering section of the church, that others would be inspired to join and to know you and surrender and say, Lord, have your way in me. I want that peace. I want that joy, 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 joy down in my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. these messages available to give you a window into our church, but also an open gate for you to join in with our community. Our Sunday service is at 10 a.m., and we look forward to seeing you soon. And know that there is a place for you at The Gate. Please remember to visit thegatechurch.ca for more information about our church.